It's time for Making It Personal, a personalized SC podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back, everyone, to the Making It Personal podcast. I am your host, Carrie Fersner, and today I am joined by a very special guest all the way from the big city of Rock Hill, South Carolina, and from the home of Saluda Trail Middle, Miss um, Brittany Drakeford. So hi, Brittany. How are you? We're so glad to have you here. Hi, Carrie. Thank you for having me. It's so neat. Yes. So Brittany, let's start by um, letting you introduce yourself to our audience. Tell them a little bit about who you are and what you're currently doing at Saluda Trail. Um, I am a eighth grade language arts teacher. I also teach English one. So my eighth graders have that chance to get um, English one credit. This is year nine, 10 teaching. Um, but this is year three here at Saluda Trail. Awesome. Awesome. So let's start off by um, you telling us a little bit about your journey with personalizing student learning. Where did that actually begin for you? And at the beginning of your journey, where did you start? Uh, So about four, five years ago, my district um, went through this big initiative of workshop model. So that's where my journey started. We did workshop model. Then that kind of blended over into blended learning when I was here, my first year here at Saluda Trail. So what that blended learning model was all about, um, getting kids, figuring out where they are, where they need to be, um, having those station rotations and in those station rotations, creating individualized or or small group. Mm-hmm. So this year was more, I needed to figure out a way to still reach my kids, but still be safe, still be distanced because they can't do that station rotation as they did. So I started doing way more personalized where they just conference with me. We looked at their individual plans, individual needs. And that's where I am now. Um, So it all kind of evolved around like that workshop model because I still do workshop model in my class. I still do mini lessons. They still do independent work. During that independent work time, we do a lot of conferencing, making plans, where we are, where we're going. Okay, so let's let's rewind back a little bit because um, I'm a former middle school teacher, so I can relate. But oftentimes when middle and high school teachers hear workshop model, station rotation, they look at that as like an elementary thing. So how does that actually look like in your eighth grade middle school classroom? So my first time here in station rotation, I also thought, like, I don't have enough time, like elementary it's 120 minutes a day. We had, at the time, 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. We now have 70, so it's like 10 more minutes. But you just have to work it in. Like, you just... So my first 15 minutes, my kids come in. They do independent reading. We conference. We'll book their reading. I might, like, have them telling me about the skill that we've been practicing for the week. I could have met with about three kids in that 15-minute time. Mm-hmm. We move into a mini lesson. This is what we're working on today. This is our target. This is where we need to go. I have them. We practice one together because we model. Then they do their independent work time. My class runs on timers. Here we go. 15 minutes. You guys have this time to work independently. 
that timer goes off. Um, you get another 15, 10 minutes. Okay, turn and talk to your partner. Then we share out at the end. So that's how my workshop model works in my room. So it's just planned in segments. We still get that same work done. Um, I'm able to conference with students in those pockets. Those, that, okay, they're doing their independent work or they're working as a small group. So I still get to conference with them in those pockets. It's just that it looks a little different this year. Well, the workshop model looks pretty much the same, but the station rotation, it looks a lot different. But timers are your friend when you're doing workshop model. Have you ever, I guess, prior to you um, coming into workshop model, have you ever just like solely taught whole group, like everyone's getting the same thing at the same time? Like, have you ever had that style of teaching? And if so, how do you contrast that with where you are now with workshop and personalizing student learning? Like, what difference has that made, if any, with the, with the students that you serve? So I think the time I came into teaching, um, standing in front of the classroom was one of the things that was going around the wayside. So I think I came in at a good time. I have, but there are days where sometimes you just have to, okay, here's some content. We have to get this done. Of course. But I like, there's no day that I'm in front of them all day. Um, That makes it tiring on me. They're tired of the sit and get. Uh, There's some, some data or some research that says that kids shouldn't be 15 minutes in doing one thing at one time. So 15 minute little segments and then they're, we need to find something new. Hmm. So it's just taking that research and just putting it into action, I guess, to say, you know, but I've never been the type to, we're going to just stand and talk and I'm going to talk the whole time and you're just going to get that's never been my style of teaching. However, I do see a lot, I see a more difference, especially with um, my kids this year when if I do a mini lesson and then they can get up and do something, whether we are out in the hallway doing a gallery walk because it's more space. I feel like they take more content in versus, okay, I did the mini lesson. You have the notes. Look on this link for things. Come back. They didn't turn it in. So I see a lot more difference. If we still have to figure out ways to get them up and moving and get them more engaged in the lesson. Gotcha. And and so that kind of leads me to my next question. And you kind of alluded to this um, a little while ago. Obviously, we're in a different space now with COVID. And I'm assuming you guys are kind of like in, back in person, um, trying to like social distance and things like that. How has COVID and this season of social distancing changed your educational practice, if it has? So we um, in Rock Hill schools have been hybrid the whole time. So I'll get a small group on A day and then I get a small group on B day. So that whole portion, that's still the same. Um, We have like partitions in our room, like dividers. So moving the desk is not, that doesn't happen anymore. But in my PLC, we think and we try to plan, well, how can we move? They still have to get up and move. Like we can put stations on the partitions or and make sure they're spread apart. Uh, last week, we did a gallery walk in the hall where we just 
put up the stuff that they needed, space them out. They were spaced out. We just have to get them. And I think it's just a little bit of that trickery of, well, not even trickery, but just trying to come up with ways that you can still reach them without them having to sit down the whole time or without just the skill and drill the whole time. So that's changed. Mm-hmm. It hasn't really changed my philosophy of teaching because I'm always thinking of ways to engage them differently. So here's another way. I got to think of another way to engage them differently or work around a different obstacle or figure out what's not working. So I know straight getting work off their iPad or their laptop isn't working. Like our data have shown us that. Mm. So we had to figure out a way to get them up, get them moving. And we just got some data from that today and their scores look way better than they did the unit before when it was just, here's your laptop, here's things on here. I'm going to expect that you have done this or ask questions versus our old way of doing it where we're out there in the field, so to speak, with them, working with them, making mistakes with them helping them figure out answers. So my philosophy hasn't changed. Just trying to figure out how to navigate it has. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I see that you have different systems set up um, that would kind of connect to our framework piece around student ownership. So we've talked about how the students have set up e-notebooks and they're able to like set goals and track their data. So could you tell us a little bit more about how that looks in your context. I know in the past, like maybe schools or districts have had data notebooks where the teacher just mans all the things and keeps all the things and the student doesn't know what's going on. So how does that kind of look like in your classroom? I think one of our goals was that our kids knew what was going on. So they had ownership of where they were going. And that was something that our eighth grade decided that that's what probably they needed going into high school. That was a competency they needed going into high school, um, being able to self-manage, self-regulate. So during the summer, a group of teachers got together and they created electronic notebooks for our eighth graders. And in that electronic notebook, it was it housed, it houses like your maps data, like your spring score, your winter score, what your fall goal is. And what are things that you're really good at? What are things that you still need help in? Um, It also houses like test data for ELA, math, science, social studies. So they can also see like in each content, what skill did they master? So in my class, um, we do, we did some conversations around map data because we had just took winter maps or even at the beginning when we took our spring or fall maps um, I gave them the little data sheet that they have but they don't keep that data sheet the one that says here's your score for winter here's your score here's what your fall score should be like the goal setting sheet from off maps we sat down and we talked and they input their data in as we were talking the conference took six minutes we timed it Six minutes, I was done with a kid. So here's your spring goal, or here's yeah, here's your um fall score, winter score, spring goal. Did you go up? Did you go down? Here's things that you need to work on. Here's things that it says that you got better at. We then talked about how we target for enrichment. So I had kids in my vocabulary enrichment who that was their lowest thing that they had last time. Now it was one of their highest in their 
one of the skills that they said they don't need any help on. So help bring morale to them like, oh, I made games. Um, So we talked about those things. We talk about, so when I get ready to set up IXL plans, like they're individualized IXL plans. These are the skills I pick because, like, not because I'm just going to pick a skill and give it to you, but it said that you needed help in context clues. So I found a skill practice from context clues, and that's the one that you're going to be working on. Somebody else is going to have a different skill because they don't need, maybe they didn't need context clues. So they'll be having something different. So when we do our IXL, we do that sometimes like 15 minutes in the beginning of class, like their IXL practice. They have an individualized targeted one that just works for them because that's what Matt said they need to work on. So pretty much students have a better understanding of where they are and you all have kind of crafted resources to allow them to kind of individually get to where they are instead of saying a blanket like everybody's going to do this you know this practice activity how have your students responded to that um because I'm sure that in previous classrooms that they've been in maybe I don't know I'm just taking a while I guess maybe it hasn't always been that way so I was talking to like during one of the conferences with one of my students, I was she was saying, I can't believe that language is my strong part and in, in my strongest skill in in her maps data. And she's a, she's one of my students. She has um, and English isn't her first language. Um, I, it's she takes she does sign language. So sign is her first language. Wow. But and I tell her because it's because you have to think about the process of how can I translate this to be able to speak it to someone. So that extra side of your brain that's working is just it works well. Yeah. And like vocabulary was one of her highest things. So them just I think giving them that ability to look and see what they're good at. And some of them like I couldn't believe I was good at this or OK, I knew I needed work. Having that conversation with them, I think was way better than just giving them the paper. Here's what your goals are. This is what you need to work on. Or even, even if they don't even go up the next time, like they know that I've had the conversation with them and we've talked and we have that connection that they can always say, well, I tried this or it didn't work. At the middle school level, I'm wondering um, whether goal setting and conferencing was kind of hard for you to implement. As we know, uh, people in general are creatures of habit. So if you've been, you know, in the education system and you've just kind of been trucking along, um, if you're that student that is a high flyer or if you're that student who's just barely getting by, um, how I'm wondering how hard it was to kind of onboard that, uh, onboard students onto the process of like, hey, now you're going to set a goal or like, hey, this is this is plainly where you're at. And so what are, what, what are you going to do about it, given the resources that I've given you? How, um, what was that process like for you? I think it's that gradual release. Okay. I had to plan it in my day. Like, it's not something that, okay, I think I'm the goal set with them today. Like, it had to be a part of my plan, like my daily agenda that we have on the board every day. Because I had to be intentional with my time because I would never make it through all of them. And I think it's good, too, this year that we had their hybrid. So it's less of them in the class each day. I'm able to get through it quicker. But it had to be something that was intentionally planned. Like I had to say, okay, so doing bell work, I'm going to meet with like four of you today. Like when I'm going over the daily agenda with them, this is our targets for the day. This is what we're hitting. 
during bell work, I'm going to be meeting with you about your MAPS goals. What do you think you're going next? Then I'll get, after my bell work is over, I'll get up there and do my mini lesson again. They start their independent work. Then I have to meet with some more. So it's something that had to be planned. And it's something that was that gradual release. And even now, like we meet together to make those plans. So I'm thinking like next semester when the semester starts, because our semester starts in February, they start crafting their own plans. So we haven't made it to the point of, I know where I am. This is where I need to go next. So that's my next step, trying to do that, like help them do that. This time we just did it together and I talked and they talked and we figured out together. I think the next step or the next plan is, okay, now I have to figure out what I need. Because when I get to high school, and I do have supports in high school, but a lot of times I'm still having to figure out what I need, and I don't have those same supports as a team or a enrichment class or a mentor group. So it's trying to teach them, okay, so if I don't have that support in high school, I need to be able to advocate for myself right, to go find someone where I can get those supports. Another question that I have for you is, so uh, you're an ELA teacher in the world of writing and reading. How do you get your students excited about <laughs> reading and writing in this age of technology and all these different distractions? Like, how do you make that part personal for them? I think making it a priority was one of the keys. So we do independent reading every day. Okay. If you're in my classroom, we're doing independent reading. That means you have no technology up. You have a book. I know people like to read on laptop. I mean, like to read on their devices, but I just need you to have at least 10, 15 minutes of no screen time because you get a lot of that during the day. So just making that a priority. They know that's the first thing they do when they come inside my classroom. We're reading. They get choice of what they're reading um, so they can get books from, from me. Our library has like a checkout system where they deliver books to them. So we talk about that. My district does this uh, 10 book challenge where after they finish a book, they can lock that in and they can see where our class is in relation to another eighth grade class in the district or in relation to our school. So it's just making that reading a priority. And I know when they get to eighth grade, it's like, oh, I don't want to read. But just making it a priority. Uh, I talk with my team and maybe next nine weeks do like some raffles of I caught you reading. So like they get a raffle ticket. Because we do have kids who like to read and just, oh, okay, I just caught you reading at a time that no one asked you to, or, you know, you were done with work, those things. So just getting, making that priority. Writing is still a little challenging with them, just trying to give them choice in the topics that they write, as long as it's in the same parameters. I do a lot of writing workshop, and I've been doing that a lot this year, where they write in Google Docs and um, they share their documents with me and I'm an editor, not an editor, but I make suggestions. Don't change anything for them, but I do make suggestions so they can see those comments on the side and start thinking, okay, last time I had this same issue or same mistake, then I can know how to go fix it. Because if you fix it for them, they don't see what's wrong. I think being in that suggestion mode, they're able to see like, okay, this and it's isn't fitting into this paragraph or, and I can make that comment on the side. 
Or like today we're working on, my English one students are doing like National History Day. So we're doing annotated bibliography. So I can make suggestions of this isn't formatted correctly or do you need more sources or here's a link that gives you more sources. So I'm not sitting side by side with them, but I'm able to communicate with them as if we're having that conversation together. But they're just working and I got all the documents up and I can just go through them and make those comments, make those suggestions. So I can tell that they're working, how, how fast, or do I need to add more supports in there? Come see me, bring me your computer. Sometimes that happens. So it's making those things priorities. Like they know if they're doing it right and they're sharing it with me because the administrator is going to make suggestions. That helps them out in the end. We talked about that too. You'd rather get these in I did like a uh, Google form with them where I asked them if they like this way, uh, what did they like about it? And a lot of them like that they get to see their feedback early. When we get around to the grading of it, they shouldn't have, they didn't have that many mistakes because we've caught them early on. So they didn't have to redo anything. Cause I did now before, before doing it with them this way, I saw a lot of, they wrote, I graded, gave it back. They didn't make any changes or suggestions. So now you see them making those changes and that has changed their writing tremendously. Wow, wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so with everything going on with COVID and just social unrest and you know all, all the things that are happening in our world um, right now, how do you go about kind of tapping into the social emotional side of things with your students during this current climate? Um, are there things that you do, are there ways that you kind of embed that in um, your academic um, work or are there separate things that you do on the side to kind of tap into that for students? I think it's mostly embedded. Um, I check in with them a lot, talk to them about How's it going? Even in the conferences of their map data. So is everything going okay? Do you need anything from me? Um, is there something I need to know? Like just throwing some questions like that in there, like randomly. My school does a really good job or my our guidance counselor does a really good job. She sends out a survey to them like every Tuesday or Wednesday and then they can complete that. So she knows who to come. Okay, this child is having some hardships here. I need to go pull them for that. Uh, so sometimes there's like a Google form on my like homepage where they can complete where if they need anything, whether it's uh, academic or personal or things of that sort, or just being understanding. So I had a kid yesterday email me. They had a book project due. And she was like, I just can't record at home with all that's going on. Mm-hmm. Turning mm-hmm. the writing part, we can record tomorrow. So that was my you know, a feedback to her. She turned the written part in. She recorded today. No harm. No, I just got showing, I guess, showing that grace, showing that you don't have to turn it in like I'm asking you to all the time. Mm-hmm. Or let me know what's going on. We can work something out. So I think just thinking about them or letting them know that we're always here asking about them. I tried to like in between classes, how's it going? Did you do this? Or how's your brother? I taught like if I taught their brother last year or sister or is everything going good with them? And just giving them that, okay, I care. She cares more about me than just school. Right. 
So, Well, thank you for sharing that. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. We are back with Brittany on the Making It Personal podcast. Um, We're now in time for our special segment that I like to call Making It or Breaking It. So, Brittany, I want you to share with us either a make or a break. So a make would be something cool that either you've seen or that you've made happen in the world of personalized learning that you want to share. Or a break could be something with a, a barrier, a concern, or a struggle that you've encountered on your personalized learning journey, or something that you feel we need to break or cut out in order to give personalized learning a chance for students across the state. So which will it be, make or break? I'll do a make. Okay. So something I found during this personalized learning journey um, is I, I do grade conferences with them. So like when they're done with their writing, they already had the rubric. They grade themselves first and then we grade together. So mm. I think I got a four on this part of the rubric because I had this. So as they're talking to me, I'm looking in a document, seeing if I can find that. A lot of times my kids grade themselves harder than, or they say, oh, I didn't do this. So I gave myself a one, but I see this here. Like I see this is evident here. So then let's try like a three. So being able to grade with them. So then that way, when they went home or if parents asked about why they got this grade or why they administrate for giving you this grade, that conversation turns into, well, we graded it together. And this is what I saw. And this is what she saw. So we just happened to do that together. And I think that's more personalized in the sense of we had that conversation. It's just for your paper and these these parameters work just for you. So when I meet someone else, they had something else that they were working through. They had a target that they were working through. So just finding like small ways to personalize that without changing up what you would have done anyway. I would have had a rubric anyway. I would have graded their essay on their rubric anyway. But now I brought them into it and I don't have to grade any essays at home. Right. So it was like, that saved me some time. Let you grade it. We meet together. I don't have to take this home. It may take me two days, but I don't have to take this home. And it didn't get graded two weeks after they turned it in. So that's a make it. Like just planning strategically to make your job easier and to give you time that your time back that would have normally been taken up. Yeah, I really love that because oftentimes grading is such just, that's a whole conversation in itself. And a lot of times, you know, students go through their educational career getting grades and hoping for an A, but not even knowing what that B, C, A, what does that even mean? Right. So the fact that you've set up structures in your class to where like the students can actually identify like, they can critique themselves and know where they are. Like that's definitely setting them up for success and putting them on that path towards being self-directed learners. So that's, that's awesome. 
Well, thank you so much, Brittany, for joining us today. Um, the final thing that I will ask you is if there's anyone out there who um, would like to reach out to you or get in touch with you, how might they be able to do that? Um, they can email me at bdrakeford at rhschools, I mean, rhmail.org. Um, I'm also on Twitter. Forgot my Twitter handle. How would that um, <laughs> But I am also on Twitter. If you just search Brittany Drakeford, it pops up from Salute Trail Motor School. So Okay, we'll put it in the description oh, um, on the bottom of this <laughs> podcast. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. We'll be right back to close things out. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode of Making It Personal. Connect with the Office of Personalized Learning by visiting our website, personalizedsc.ed.sc.gov. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, and tune in for a new episode every month. We'll catch you next time on Making It Personal. See ya!